We are kicking off a new series on read solutions, and so um, we're going to just walk through Nehemiah here. And so if you have your Old Testament reading right here, go ahead and pull it out. Even better yet, if you have your own Bible here, pull that out. And so here's a great New Year's resolution. Download a Bible for your phone. Go ahead and do that. So the God's Word is with you all the time, no matter what. When I was a kid growing up, I went to a, a Lutheran school, and they would have us memorize verses, and my, my memory is really poor, and so I, this is horrible to say, I hated to memorize the Bible when I was a kid, because it was homework for me, and I wasn't very good at it, and I didn't like it. And I would always say to my teachers, why do I have to do this? It's right here, I can read it. And they would say, well, you might not always have a Bible with you. You know, what if the Russians come and they take away all our Bibles? You know, so I'm at Lutheran Elementary School preparing for Red Dawn. And uh, I'm like, are you serious? Really? So now I like to have my Bible on my app and go, look, it's always with me. Right? So if you want to do that, that'd be fantastic. Because we're going to be in Nehemiah today. But to kick us going, uh, I want to ask you this question. How many of you have made a New Year's resolution? Good on you. All right. It's like this half of the room has made New Year's resolutions. That's funny. It's like, yeah, we go the extra 10 feet. We're going to go sit on this side. <laughs> Overachievers on this side. Good job. New Year's resolutions are, they're great. I make and break New Year's resolutions every year. Uh, they're phenomenal. And they're, they're a lot more the same, right? Get healthier. You know, work out more, be active, eat better, get out of debt. It's, they tend to be in that area, right? That range, usually. That's where they're at. And that's great. It's fantastic. Good on you. But we don't see those type of resolutions in the Bible. Right? It's not like we ever read in Hezekiah chapter 12, verse 3, you know, something like, The Lord... The Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt with a strong and mighty hand uh, instructs you to eat fewer Doritos, Cheetos, and Fritos. From here on now and henceforth forevermore, any food ending with the word Edos is forbidden, right? We never read that in the Bible. And so today we're going to talk about resolutions. We're going to talk about them differently. And to do that, I want us to walk through Nehemiah. It's Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're just going to kind of walk through it together here. So if you want to pull it out, pull it out in your own Bible, that'd be great. Starts here like with these words. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanai, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So first of all, big thanks to Jan for reading this because there's lots of funky names in here. So nice job, good job. And she always asks me, how do you pronounce that? I'm like, how do you think you pronounce it? Because no one else knows how to pronounce it. So if you act like you know how to pronounce it, no one will know the difference. So Hakaliah, I don't even know how to pronounce it that way. I think I can. No one's spoken this for a couple hundred years. We're good. It's a good beginning. It's not some beginning like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But we're not, when we talk about Bible stories, that's a misnomer. 
There are no Bible stories. It's Bible history. This stuff actually happened. And our text for today happens in the month of Kislev, which is November, December. And it happens in the 20th year, is what he says. And what he means is the 20th year of the reign of the current king. And we know from extra-biblical sources this current king is King Artaxerxes. Is that how you pronounce it? Sure it is. You don't know any better. Neither do I. Artaxerxes, that's what we call him. King Artaxerxes. So we know this is taking place in 444 B.C. And he's asking about uh, what's taking place in, uh, back in Jerusalem. He questions his brother about the remnant, it says in the text. What is the remnant? So quick little history here. 586 B.C., the nation of Judah and the capital city of Jerusalem are overrun by the Babylonians, and they wipe out everything. They take out the walls of Jerusalem. They destroy the temple, and they move the majority of people out of there. The city is gone, 586 B.C. In 539 B.C., the Babylonians are defeated by a group called the Persians. And they say to the Jews who have been, who've been living in exile, they say to them, you can go home. And some of them do. Most of them don't, because home is a pile of rubble in Jerusalem. And by this time, they've, they've gotten their businesses set up, their, their jobs, their families. They, they're kind of settled, and it's 2,000 miles away. So you can see why lots of them stayed. But some go back. So we continue the text there in verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Things in Jerusalem are not good. If you want to have a city, you need to protect your people. And the easiest and best way to do that is to have a wall. You've got to build a wall. When we say a wall, we're not talking about a wall. We're talking about a wall. And it's hard to build a wall when you don't have the people to build the wall. You don't have, really have a government mechanism of getting it done. And so there's people there, but they're under constant threat. Jerusalem is not a good place to live. And life's hard. They have rebuilt the temple. That's about it. And Nehemiah's response is incredible. He's 2,000 miles away. He's got a great job. He's cupbearer to the king. He's got a phenomenal job. And he could have said, you know what? Here's some money for rebuilding efforts. Here you go. And that would have been nice. He could have said, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. And prayed and go, amen. And then be done with it. But Nehemiah's heart is broken. broken. And so he prays and he fasts for days. 
And he records his prayer for us. He says this in verse 5. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. This is a great prayer. He starts out with what we call adoration, or just a prayer of praise. Lord God, thanks for who you are. And then he continues with confession. Lord, we have not acted and served and lived as you have called us to be. God allows the Babylonians to take out the nation of Judah because they have not lived as God has called them to live. God's goal from the very beginning when he establishes his people is that they would live in such a way that other nations would be drawn to them, would be attracted to them and say, what is different about these people? Why do they love the way they do? Why do they live the way they do? And they didn't do it. And God says, you know what? This is the consequence. This is a great prayer. He continues the prayer in verse 8. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are on the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah reminds God of who he is and of his promises. Luther used to call this type of prayer holding God against himself. You hold a mirror up to God. You say, Lord God, this is how things are, but I know you. And I know this is not how you want things to be. Therefore, please act. And this is Nehemiah's prayer. He continues in verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and, the prayer, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Nehemiah asks God to hear his prayer and grant him favor in the presence of this man. Who is this man? He tells us in the next sentence. I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah is getting ready to ask the king for a favor. This is bold. You don't ask kings for favors. Kings tell you what to do. Nehemiah is getting ready to leave this incredible job and ask for permission to leave it and to go to the other side of the world 2,000 miles away on foot. Why would he do such a thing? does it because his heart is broken. His heart's broken, so he makes a resolution. 
But it's not a resolution for himself. It's a resolution for someone else. Nehemiah's heart has been broken for other people. And whenever God wants something done, he will break someone's heart for it. Every single time. Nehemiah's, or God's people were leaderless, and so God breaks Moses' heart. The people need a savior, and so God approaches a young girl named Mary and says, this is what's going to happen. And she says, okay, I will do this. Whenever God wants something done, he breaks someone's heart over it. And so I want to ask you this question this morning. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? It's a big question. It's okay if you don't know the answer right now. It's like we're going to talk about it for the next four weeks. What breaks your heart? What makes you say, God, that's so sad. It shouldn't be like that. breaks your heart. What breaks your heart in this world? What breaks your heart in this valley? What are the things you look at and say, someone should do something about that? And when your heart's broken over something, there's a couple reactions. One is to say, Man, that's horrible. I, I wish something could get done. And then walk away. Another reaction is to say, that's horrible, and that's somebody's fault, right? And so you start the blame game, right? It's the government's fault. It's those liberals' fault. It's those conservatives' fault. It's, it's the culture's fault. You know what? It's those millennials' fault. It's those baby boomers. It's their fault. And the ultimate one, it's God's fault. When something breaks your heart and you don't do anything about it, you'll blame someone else. You will. But the challenge is, the problem is, is that people who blame things don't change things. People who blame things, they don't change things. They just keep blaming. So I want to ask you, what breaks your heart? If you are an active follower of Jesus, you will be actively involved in making someone's life better. You just will. There's no other way to follow Jesus. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love me. Is that what he said? Closed, but that's not what he said. He said, by this, everyone will know you're, you are my disciples if you love one another. That's what he said. Devotion to God is measured in devotion to other people. And so if you are actively following Jesus, you will be actively involved in making someone's life better. It's incredible, radical teaching. 
But this is who Jesus is. And if you don't know the answer to what breaks your heart, it's fine. It's a big question. But you were designed to have your heart broken. You were designed that way. You were created by God to be perfect, to live in a perfect world, in perfect harmony and unity and relationship with God. That's how you were created. And clearly, when we look around our world, we go, that's not happening. And you're right. You are designed to have your heart broken by something. Because there could be something in this world that you say, well, that's not right. Well, that shouldn't be. When followers of Jesus have their hearts broken, that's when God's work gets done. And so in 444 B.C., God breaks Nehemiah's heart. And Nehemiah says, this should not be. I'm going to go back and we're going to build that wall. And then 444 years later, there's a city there called Jerusalem. And Jesus enters into the city. And his heart is broken. It's broken over that city. It's broken over his world. And Jesus walks outside of that city. And he dies upon a cross for that city of Jerusalem. And for you. And for all people. See, when God breaks your heart, you have no idea how he's going to use it. When God places a burden on you, you don't know how God's going to use that burden in the long term, but God knows. And he's broken your heart for that purpose. What breaks your heart? There are a lot of great resolutions out there. You know, whatever resolution you've made, good on you, keep it, good for you. But you are more than a body or a balance sheet. You're more than that. You were designed for more. It is too small a thing to live just to be healthier or more active. It is too small a thing. Now, I don't want you to be irresponsible here. Don't quit your job tomorrow. You know, I go, I'm moving to Uganda. <laughs> now, Bob and Linda Isbell did exactly that, but, but they prayed over it for months. They talked about it with people they trusted and other followers of Jesus. It was a process here. And so what I'm asking you today is just this. Enter into the process. Be willing to ask yourself and spend some, some time in prayer this week. What breaks my heart? We'll have some time in prayer after, during our closing song here. We'll have a group of people. We'll have a, Stacey's going to be there. And we'll, we'll pray. And start this process. What breaks your heart? We're going to pray about that right now here too. There's a great line in uh, the Gospel of Luke when Jesus is born. And it's, it's like absolute chaos. 
when Jesus is born. He's born in a barn. There's animals there. It's smelly. It's stinky. There's shepherds running in from who knows where. With who, and you know they haven't washed their hands. And they're running in, and they're, they're excited because angels appeared to them, and they run back out to tell their people. And the text says, we don't read this very often, the text says they came back. And here's Mary, this 14, 15, 16-year-old girl, and she's giving birth to a baby in a barn. And there's strangers running in and out. Just got to watch the donkey from stepping on the baby, you know. It says simply this, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them. And so I'm asking you this week to ponder. Just ponder over all these things and ask yourself this question. What breaks your heart? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, um, your heart was broken over your world. And you endured sin that you did not commit and paid a price you did not have to pay so that we might be yours, so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be forgiven that we might have purpose and joy in your creation and forever, Lord God. And Lord, you've created this community with people with great gifts and talents and their different gifts and talents and, and abilities and Lord God, just this incredible community. Lord, you have placed us in this valley and in this world where things are, are not as they should be. So, Lord, I ask that you would reveal to us what breaks our heart. Lord, we thank you for the example of a, a small boy in our gospel reading for today. And his heart was broken because people were hungry. And so he gave his lunch. That's what he had. Not much, God. That's what he had. And you used it to, serve, to feed 5,000 people. Lord, as we're asking this question of what breaks our heart, we, we look at ourselves and our time and our resources, and we're like, God, I, I just I want to get home from work and take a nap. But Lord, You've given us gifts. And they may seem small and insignificant, Lord, but you do incredible things with small gifts. So, Lord God, we ask that you would break our heart. Song here. We'll have our
for a team over there.